This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Sports Illustrated's Fan Nation, Las Vegas Raiders insider. We are talking with a guy I love. I got to know him around the the 2000. It was his senior year. I think you graduated in 2001, right, Kyle? Oh, two. Oh, two. Okay, so I met him in 2001 when he was a high school football player, and a buddy of mine called me who was uh, um, worked in college football. And he says, Hey, I'm going down to scout this kid at Macomb. You want to come with me? So we went down and I watched him and got to watch his career, got to watch him grow as a man, reach his dream of playing seven years in the NFL. He's a great family man and a great person. One of my favorite people to ever play in the NFL, my good buddy, Kyle Cook from the Cincinnati Bengals, great offensive lineman. Kyle, how are you, bud? Good. Thank you for having me, buddy. I got to tell you, it was. I loved watching you play in high school because even you have to admit it was kind of like a video game because you're so much bigger than everybody. Then you went to college and you still dominated and play well. And then you go and had seven great seasons with the Bengals. For you, I mean, I know you love life. I was talking to Drew Stanton and Trey Waynes this past week. And, you know, guys who played the game and loved it, but understood, I'm not a football player. It's not who I am. I'm more than that. Do you look back, though, at those seven years and at your time and and, and that you played the game and, and pinch yourself just because what a great career? Yeah, I mean, so fortunate to be one of the guys not only to play in the NFL um, and start, but have a good long career, um, kind of be able to end on my own terms. And, uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, looking back on it, it's – it was a blessing and, um, you know, tried not to take any of it for granted and work as hard as I could to make the most of it. Now, the reason I want to talk to you specifically is my attention always goes to the offensive line. And one of the things that I don't think people understand, and I'd love to get your perspective is they think, for example, Oh my gosh, Aaron Rodgers is making 60 million a year. And people don't understand the way the salary cap works. You can't have a bunch of those guys. And and because there are so many offensive no. linemen, usually eight to nine on a roster, you've got to be able to get guys who, who are financially viable, but also positionally viable. It, an offensive line is unlike anything in the NFL. I think it's unique, and people don't think about it from a salary cap perspective. Can you talk about that from a player's perspective? vantage point um i mean yeah so obviously you know with the salary cap the way it is and you have your handful of guys on the team your quarterback um top ride receiver um you know certain defensive players maybe defensive end gonna eat up the bulk of that yep yep and then when you come over the offensive side yes your left tackle 
um, who's obviously, if he's a vested veteran, you know, been very dependable. When I played, Andrew Whitworth was my left tackle, and you talk about an outstanding player on and off the field and uh, the epitome of an all-pro. Um, so, of course, those guys are going to get paid. Um, and then when it comes to everybody else, it kind of falls into where you're at in your career. You know, obviously, with the new structured pay schedule for rookies, that takes some of the burden off teams where they have to pay these guys. Um, but eventually, you know, those guys, if they're quality players, have to get paid. So what you see a lot, in my opinion, in the NFL, and I kind of talk to some of the guys – with the Bengals, um, some of the trainers and, and um, the, the um, some of the doctors and stuff that I would communicate with every so often that I got to be really close with was that I, I hope, you know, these last couple of years, they really made a great run because they had a lot of young players. And the problem that everybody knows is that the band will eventually break up because mm-hmm. you, you have, you know, your top two top receivers in the NFL top quarterback eventually when those rookie deals are done those guys are going to get paid and you can't keep everyone you can't pay everyone so it's it's tough for owners it's tough for gms to work that all out to the best of their ability to be able to obviously uh you know get the money out to the guys that they need to without getting them stolen from another team for who knows how many million more and so it's tough when it comes to a line. If you have a seasoned group of guys, maybe one younger second year player that's in the mix, you kind of know that the writing's on the wall that we're all not going to be back next year because so many guys need to get paid. Hmm. I'm curious. So the Raiders continuity is so important on an offensive line and the Raiders brought everyone back. Of course, we've got the star left tackle and Colton Miller, but I'm just curious, how important was it for you as an offensive lineman for there to be continuity? Oh, I mean, big time. I mean, I was very fortunate with my career that we had probably, I would want to say four of the guys uh, on our line we played with for the majority of the part. Uh, We ended up towards the end of my career. Uh, I had two new guards in there, um, but they were able to learn and adjust quickly. and, you know, they're kind of filling spots between the tackle and the center. And so they kind of learn through training camp and OTAs, uh, you know, how each guy works. It, it's it's harder when you get into a season and somebody gets injured and then somebody either gets picked up by another team or a free agent thrown in the mix. And then not only does that guy have to learn a whole new system, he has to learn the guy next to him and, and how things work because it's you have to the gelling that goes on between a line um you know the good ones in the nfl they could just before you look at a guy to tell him something he already knows what you're gonna say Mm, great point talking to kyle cook longtime nfl veteran offensive lineman for the cincinnati bengals more importantly to me is my friend uh kyle i want to dig in with you on the center position because I often will refer to people, it's the quarterback of the offensive line. And not because fans are not are ignorant, I'm not implying that, but if they haven't played, they don't understand. Can you take fans through, from the moment you break the huddle, why are you called the quarterback of the offensive line? Can you go talk to them what's going through a center's mind, please? 
Well, I mean, especially now when I played, obviously, with the Bengals, um, in the AFC North, the defenses that we saw week in and week out um, for our interconference play uh, were quite unique. Um, I mean, you had Dick LeBeau and the Steelers, mm-hmm. um, you had Harbaugh and his associates over there with the Ravens, and then Cleveland also did it, where you had multiple looks, multiple fronts on any given play. So it wasn't like, okay, we're playing a team and they just run a regular 4-3 or a 3-4. I mean, Pittsburgh and Baltimore were the epitome of being able to throw different things at you because of the skilled players they had on the defensive side of the ball. So for a, for a center, you know, I would say that in my personal career, I was a good athlete and I was a good center. But the thing that really kept me around longer than most was my ability to, in, in, in essence, quarterback the line. I can I can figure the X's and O's of the game was where I, I love that. Um, so I may have been, you know, a a good player. Maybe I wasn't an all pro based on my skill set, but I could figure out the defenses and understand where everybody had to be on a given play to put us in the best position to win on that play. So, you know, when you're coming across and you break the huddle and come to the line, you not only have to identify the defense and what's out there, um, but you also have to make the correct calls for both sides and the quarterback, um, depending on his age, um, you know, each and every play. You know, when I first came in, I was there with Carson Palmer. And, you know, Carson being a seasoned vet, um, we were on the same page. You know, he knew exactly where I was going to go. If I had to change a call, everything was good. Um, And then when he ended up, uh, he actually, you know, when he went to the Raiders and then we drafted Andy Dalton, Andy Dalton fresh out of college as a first year guy. He really relied more on me, I'd say, in his first year or two. Um, never, like if with Carson, if there was an issue and he saw something I didn't see, he would come up and kind of point it. Okay, now I see it. We'll go. with. If Andy it was straight up, you know, I got to be on because that's what he's going with. And, and as he, he learned in his four years with me, he progressed to, you know, being able to, to do the things that a seasoned vet would do. Well, I want to dig in a little bit and get your thoughts on this. So the Raiders offensive line last year, last year broke for um, uh, blocked for the NFL rushing leader. And there was a lot of sacks. And I tell people all the time, any player that tells you he never got his butt kicked is a liar because at this level, everybody gets a butt kicking. You're not great on every play. But they had a quarterback in Derek Carr who took some sacks held the ball a little bit, didn't throw the ball away. And and the offensive line took a beating for that from fans. Now, I'm not pretending that the Raiders have the best offensive line in all the National Football League, but you can't be a bad one if if you are blocking for the NFL's leading rusher. And I do think a lot of people don't understand how much the quarterback goes into sacks as well. Could you talk about – I know I'm not asking you to talk about Derek, but could you talk about – that sentiment about how important a quarterback is to sacks, not just the offensive line. Right. I mean, obviously if a quarterback doesn't have an open read and has to hold on to the ball or has to go through his progression and let's say one, two to three is not open. I mean, in the NFL, 
you know, three to four seconds is an eternity. And you're talking mm-hmm. about guys on the defense side of the ball now who, you know, in this day and age are freaks. I mean, you're seeing more guys like an Aaron Donald, um, guys out on the edge, guys, you know, if you have two of those players on a defensive team, you know, you can't double team them all. You can double team one of them, maybe help with a running back, but there's a lot of one-on-ones in pass protection. And so if the quarterback is a little hesitant on getting rid of the ball, that pocket will collapse and will break down eventually. I mean, you know, it is a dogfight in there. It is a nasty sport, you know, um, especially in the trenches. I mean, there is pounding, hitting going on every day. And with the tackles, they got to defend against guys who can go through them or go around them. I mean, we played James Harrison for years, and, you know, James just under six feet tall, that's hard on a tackle that's six seven. and James is one of the strongest guys I've ever met. Um, so, again, with the quarterback, you know, that is, if you if people ever watch the videos of on the NFL Network, um, uh, the training camps, training. and them, you know, timing the quarterback's release, how fast he gets the ball out, I mean, all those minuscule seconds matter in this game. Mm, great point. I was talking to Drew Stanton the other day, our mutual good friend, and 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 I've called him the toughest football player I've ever seen in my life. Just uh, the beating he took out there running options and everything else, just amazing to me. But him and I were talking ab- about this, about getting rid of the ball, delivering the ball and all of this. And one of the things that that he talked about was greatness. And to be great, you've got to see things. And he mentioned something about Joe Burrow. He really likes Joe Burrow a lot, he said. But the problem is he's taking too much of a beating. And the guys that play in the league 10 plus years are guys that know, throw the ball away. You know, you don't, Mm -hmm. I understand you're tough, but you don't have to take the beating all the time. As an offensive lineman, how critical do you think that is to have a quarterback say, listen, you can make fun of Peyton and Eli because they would go down or Tom Brady and take a sack, but it's a lot better than taking that beating. Would you talk about Drew's comments and just your thoughts as a lineman? Hey, it's okay to the quarterback, you know, go down or throw the ball away. We got another down. We can't play without you in with you injured. Right. And you see that a lot in football these days. I mean, um, a receiver makes a catch, a running back has a great run, and he's near the sideline, and a big collision is going to happen, and they'll step out. I mean, you know, at that point, you got the first down, you know, so it's no different than a quarterback. You know, is it worth trying to make something happen early in the game when it's probably not going to happen? And then you look at the negative of that. Is he going to try to make something happen and get stripped because another guy's coming in? Does he not have the ball tucked away? You know, and it's hard to take. I think Burrow took 70-something sacks the one year that they went to the Super Bowl, which was like a team record the wrong way for sacks given up. Um, Mm -hmm. As a young guy, you know, he may not think that that's a big deal. But each of those hits – minuscule is going to take off a little bit of career length. I mean, that's a lot to get hit for a quarterback. And that was just sacks. That wasn't even quarterback hits or anything like that. So there is times when a quarterback, yeah, I mean, save yourself for the next play, if that makes sense. If nothing's going to happen and everything is, is covered, then yes, I totally agree with that. 
All right, last question from me, Cookie, if you don't mind, buddy. But OTAs and mini camps are coming up. Now, Josh McDaniels, the Raider coach, takes a different approach. They spend a ton of time in the classroom. <clears throat> Even during training camp in the season, they're not out there just killing each other all the time. He he believes that football's one up here. Yep, you got to be physical at times. But he really is a guy. We're going to spend a ton of time watching film, ton of time in classrooms. When we go out to the field, where I don't want you guys killing each other because you're no good to me if you're not playing on Sunday. But can you take fans through <clears throat> what happens in OTAs and mini camps that's so vital and important? And secondly, what do you think of the Josh McDaniels approach as a guy that was a seasoned veteran where he's like, listen, we're not going out there to kill each other every play. Would you talk about those two things lastly, please? Well, obviously with OTAs and training camp, uh, I think it's crucial for the guys to build that um, – you know, that gelling, that connectivity between the two, um, even when you're over in individual drills and, you know, footwork is very important when it comes off as a blind play. If you step wrong on your first step, then you're just basically setting yourself up for failure into time blocks with someone next to you and have the other guy be able to remove himself from that block to go to a linebacker level, let's say um, it's it's all about timing. And so those little things more than, let's say, the team activities we did, where it's, you know, first on first, where it's 11 on 11, um, you know, we would do some of those. But again, in OTAs, we're just in helmets. We don't have shoulder pads. So it's kind of hard to fit into another guy that's just in a helmet uh, without a little bit of protection on your shoulders. Um, mm -hmm. So OTAs and, and some of the days in training camps when you're just in helmets – the individual work is huge, you know, and you see it for quarterbacks and receivers, route running, timing, all that kind of stuff. Um, I do like the uh, Josh's approach because the classroom, like I said, is huge. I mean, knowing what you have to do on any given play against a certain defense will make or break your team. I mean, you know, you've heard the, the sayings before it's a game of inches, you know, and it is because any given play throughout the game could affect the course of the entire game, whether it's field position, um, you name it. So a lot of little things got to go right. And to make those little things go right, it's taking time and the preparation and your film study. I mean, when we would watch, uh, like, for instance, um, the Baltimore Ravens, and we would not only watch ourselves and the defense they do, but you study a certain guy. Like we would know, for instance, Halode Nada, that he had this club that was so powerful and you had to sit there and watch it and see exactly when he would throw it on what step. And you would rewind the film half a second and then let it play half a second and let it play to watch when he puts this foot down and that hand comes up here, it comes. Because if you just get thrown into a game and you don't see that on film a bunch, it's going to surprise you and he's going to get to the quarterback. So to just say, okay, this is a defense, go out there and block it, you know, it's it's not that kind of, you know, old school football anymore. You know, it's very detailed, very exact. And I think the players that make it a long time in this league know that and they're technicians and they're big in the classroom on it. Now, I told you the last one was the last question. Do you mind taking one more? No, I'm good. Keep going. I'd love to get your feedback on something. So they expand it to 17 games. 
There's talk of even maybe going to 18 and keep eliminating preseason games. <clears throat> I don't I don't have a problem with that. Just keep raising the salary cap. But at some point, you can't keep adding games and not expand the roster. I just don't think it's fair to expect players. It's so violent. I mean, let's not pretend this isn't college. And right. and, and even in college, if you go to the, to the championship game, you're only playing 14. You start getting at 17, where they now 18, 19. I'm curious, as a vet, would you have supported more games with less preseason with an expanded salary cap, but and a or yes or no? And then what about the, the bigger roster? Do you think it's coming where the NFLPA is going to have to say, hey, guys, listen, we're willing to play more games, but you got to make the roster bigger? Yeah, I mean, in regards to let's not even call it season, let's say games played. So over the course of my career, if you were into the 80 games, is that going to be now, you know, for, for me, that was seven years. Is that going to be six years now? The same wear and tear on your body, the same amount of games played. Um, so is it not only are they going to expand um, the salary cap, maybe are they going to reduce um, what means to be a vested veteran? Because for years, if I'm correct, it was three years, three games. So you had to be into your fourth year. And three years was 16 games. Well, now if it's 17 and 18, you know, you're talking on three to six more games you have to play to become a vested veteran. So will that change? And then the other thing with the salary cap is, yes, the salary cap may go up. But is that money going to be dispersed to everyone so is for instance is everyone going to get paid you know equally in those games you know are they going to use the salary cap to spend more on quarterbacks and more on a stud receiver or defensive end or you know and some of the other guys like the, some of the linemen some of the defensive linemen maybe a linebacker who knows are they going to see the benefit of the 18 game schedule you know or will the money just get allocated to your high paid $40 million a year quarterbacks um, and such. Mm, that's a really great point. You know, it, it, there's so many nuances to the games that I don't think people really realize the beatings, just the physical toll. Everyone loves football. Let's face it. It sucks when the football season ends, but my friends are playing the league. They're like, not for me, man, I'm beat up. Everybody's injured at the end of the I hurt at the end of the year. It's just a matter, are you injured or just hurt? It's it's a whole different world, isn't it? Yeah, and I mean, the the saying goes, I don't know if you've ever heard it, but you are you will only be 100% at the start of the season. At the start of training camp, you'll be 100%. From there on, it, it, it goes down. You know, whether it's 99, 98% the first game and 85% by the last game, by the last game of the season, you are nowhere near physically what you were in game one. Um, it takes a toll on you. You cannot get in the weight room as much, especially if you have any kind of nagging, small injuries. It hinders you. Um, you look at guys who played all year long and in injuries, and sometimes they only practice once a week because they needed the rehab all week long. They may have gotten injections for games to be able to play, um, you know, and so forth. I know I just read an article about Ragnew, the center from the Lions, having another uh, – uh, I think a planter tear on his foot that he had last year or two years ago. And that hindered him all year. I don't even know if he was able to practice throughout the week. And I've had that injury. It's very painful. Um, 
And it's a shame it happened to him twice. But those are the things that 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 happen is that sometimes a guy won't practice all week. And that makes it even harder because of the wear and tear on your body. Maybe he has an injury that, you know, he needs to be out for three or four months, but he can't be because we have a game on Sunday. So you got to find a way to either make it through it or they got to find somebody else that can replace you, which is a challenge in itself to find a starting caliber player to just fill in a gap, you know, once the season started. Yeah, they certainly don't grow in trees, do they? No. And then you get a lot of the – some of the veterans will come in and try, um, but it's either short-lived or a lot of times you see some of these veterans come in and with their age, they get injured, you know. Uh, in my sixth year, I had a season-ending injury to my right ankle. Uh, third preseason game, I had the entire – we were playing the uh, Green Bay Packers and the entire right side of the line got collapsed and they fell down on my ankle. And I ended up having to have a pin put in and a tight rope. And this was the first year for the um, IR return. So it used to be where you were on IR, you'd be on it for the year, you're done. So they, I was the first one with the Bengals to ever get designated as a return from IR. And I believe it was the 12th game of the season, I came back and um, split time with Jeff Fain, who was previously with the Saints in Tampa Bay, and they had signed him when I got injured um, in that game against the Eagles. And then from then on out, I came back and I was uh, the starter after my injury had healed. But I mean, you're talking for for those 12 games. I don't think I was able to walk for, you know, six to eight weeks. I was in a cast and rolling around in the training room. So, you know, theoretically, was I at my best when I was out there? No, because, you know, I was basically should have been an in, a season ending injury. But at that point, you know, you do what you do to get your team where they need to be. And I was good enough at that point, even at 85 percent to come back and play. That's saying stuff. Man, toughness personified. I'm glad you're my friend. Hey, I want to make you feel old for a second because you got a chance of watching this kid grow up. Duffy graduates in a couple days. Can you believe my son oh, graduates? Really? I man. remember he was man. That's not remember us up at that auction. Yeah. I remember us up at the auction. I didn't even see you. And he goes, Mr. God. <laughs> Yeah, you're like, uh, oh, I don't want everyone to know it's, yeah. man, <laughs> makes you feel, well, I listen, how do you, old do you think I feel? I knew you in high school. Now you're a retired NFL player. Lastly, yeah. you inspired a lot of guys. Brian Allen, uh, the center for the Rams. I was with him in LA earlier this year. What a great guy. I mean, I looks up to you, respected you for what you did. Now that you've changed and now you're the elder statesman, is it weird for you when these guys in the league still look up to you? They still respect you, respect your toughness. That's got to mean a lot to you. Well, it does. And, you know, that's the first time I've ever heard that. Uh, you know, I've never had a chance to meet Brian, um, but I, I watched his career because he was able to actually go out and play with uh, my left tackle, Andrew Whitworth, when he was out with the Rams. So, I got, you know, and obviously, you know, Spartan Nation, uh, you kind of follow the guys um, who were in the league and kind of keep close eye on them. And I, I was really proud of him. He did really well. I know he had a, a little bit of an injured season one of the, one of the years. But, man, I, I was proud of him for everything he accomplished. So, I mean, yeah, going back on it, you know, and, and I don't look at it as though 
you know, people should know who I am or, you know, know what I did. I'm just a normal guy living a normal life. And, you know, if I could be a good role model to younger generations or even the kids I help coach out in high school now, um, then so be it. You know, I'm, I'm happy to be that. And I'm, I'm very happy to do that. Well, I'm proud to be your friend, Kyle. And I, I love the fact of who you are as a man, as a, you know, as a family guy, as an athlete. You're one of the good guys. Thank you for taking time. This has been great. Oh, well, thanks for having me, man. It's appreciated. It's good catching up with you. Good catching up to you. Appreciate you, buddy. There he is. Great Kyle Cook here on Sports Illustrated's Fan Nation, Las Vegas Raider Insider. There you go. <laughs> now go find much better offensive line talk than from that guy right there. You're listening on the Fans First Sports Network. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This has been a Las Vegas Raiders Insider production on the Fans First Sports Network.